Hello and welcome to the Movie Nuts Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Shive, and I'm the administrator of the closed Facebook group, The Movie Nuts. If you'd like to join, ask in, and you can talk movies with us. Speaking of talking movies, uh, a topic was brought up on the Facebook page uh, that I thought seemed ripe, as we are now into the month of Halloween, which is talking about one of the most famous horror movies of all time, uh, a real classic that still holds up today, and a movie that a lot of people still won't watch because it just gets a little too far inside them. That is William Friedkin's 1973 classic, The Exorcist. Um, I've always had a theory about The Exorcist itself and explaining the story that makes some of the events, to me, make more sense, but involves a, a fairly substantial uh, leap about the conclusion that I think some people aren't comfortable with or just don't agree with. So I figured I would put it out there and see what people think. Uh, the description I'm talking about essentially requires you to accept the premise that at the end of the film, the devil wins. Uh, as, as you know, if you've seen it, and I presume I'm not ruining it for anyone, uh, the little girl survives, doesn't remember anything that happens, but despite all of that, I do think that the film ends with the potential message that the devil has prevailed. If you watch the uh, the documentary that is frequently on the uh, VHS, DVD, and I presume the Blu-ray copy of The Exorcist, this topic is actually discussed by director William Friedkin when he is sitting with the, with the writer William Peter Blatty talking about it. And he mentions the, the fact that a lot of people interpret the end of The Exorcist as what he refers to as a downer. And he disagrees. It's his movie, so I think that some deference ought to be given to that concept. Uh, but I think when you walk back on it, uh, again, I'm just offering what I think is an explanation for, for the reasons behind some of the events in the story and why I, I take it that, that at the end of it, if you follow that chain of events, you kind of have to come to the conclusion that the devil wins in the end. Nonetheless, uh, as an aside, that's a great documentary about the making of The Exorcist where the two of them talk about it and all the various stars talk about the things that happen on the set. It's a really fun documentary uh, about such a dark movie. Um, so I recommend that. I also recommend, uh, if you want to see probably what has to be one of the most jarring trailers for a film that you'll ever see, that's I assume it's in the special features of almost every edition. It's in the editions I own. There is a trailer for The Exorcist that is sort of like filming in, in the negative. Uh, and I mean that from the standpoint that it's like the negative uh, of the film, but it's far more jarring. And it's, it's a sequence of images to the very classical stylized music. And, and it's, it's difficult. Um, it's great. I, I've watched it in sort of a darkened room on the DVD, and it's it's still very disturbing. I can't imagine watching it in the theater. Um, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If it's not, I'm, I'm not doing it justice. But if it's in the special the special parts, watch it, uh, because it's it's jarring. Like I said, I can imagine watching it in the theater and, uh, and going, wow. Uh, that sneeze you heard was Cheeto, one of the three official Movie Nuts dogs hanging around in my little recording studio today. Anyway... Watch that trailer and see if you come away the same way I did. Uh, anyway, so I'm moving to to the, the theory that I'm putting out here about the events. Uh, starting off with a couple of things that uh, are questions about it. And again, I'm not, I'm not offering to change 
suspending your disbelief about whether the devil can come to earth and possess children and all that sort of thing. But taking the actual, that aside, the, the facts of the story. So here it goes. Uh, presuming that the devil has some sort of purpose for possessing people here and there, uh, and he doesn't come down just for kicks, which I guess he could, but why he picks certain people and the situations he does uh, is answered by this idea. Number one would be if he comes to earth for a particular purpose, uh, presumably it wouldn't be to claim the soul of a small child. I mean, that creates despair, as Father Marin refers to, and other things of that nature, but at the end of it, it doesn't really create that big a victory. And obviously it requires some sort of effort to do this or else he would possess multiple people and all this. But why does he pick this? I start from the premise that the film begins not introducing us to young Reagan McNeil and her, and her family, but rather to introducing us to, to Father Marin, who is in Iraq digging for religious artifacts. And I, I take the significance of that to, to circle back to the idea that Marin is a significant figure in this, and indeed we learn later how significant he really is. But it starts there and then moves us to Georgetown, the Georgetown section of Washington, D.C., where a little girl with an actress mother uh, suddenly begins acting very strangely and picking up some, some pretty solid language. And then we move to the point that she is, in fact, possessed. Well, why her? Uh, I think that the answer that makes the most sense is given the location and the connections that her mother, Chris McNeil, has to Father Dyer of the Jesuits over at Georgetown. It is an opportunity for the devil to draw into harm's way Father Damien Karras, who's played by Jason Miller. Father Karras represents a very interesting target given the time of the, of the film. And by that, I mean he is a Johns Hopkins-trained psychiatrist who is also a priest and his job effectively is helping to counsel and save other priests so he is a priest whose effect beneficially on the church and on the priest that he comes in contact with is extraordinarily positive however at the point in time that the film occurs he's going through a very difficult time and has admittedly begun to question his faith thus making him a significant target at this point. He is vulnerable. Uh, nonetheless, though, as a priest in this capacity, he becomes then an appealing target to the devil to attack and to destroy. And the connection between the McNeil family and Father Dyer creates this. Thus, the child goes on a, a rampage of, of horrid events and statements and saying things and doing things to draw the presumably agnostic mother Chris McNeil into seeking help from the Jesuits where she can go. She's going to go to her friend Father Dyer that in turn connect her with Father Karras. And Father Karras is allowed to see such horrific events that he feels compelled to help. Okay. Step two, knowing the Jesuits, which presumably the devil would, they would probably not let Karras do this alone and they would seek to give him assistance. Well, the likely assistance choice would be the aforementioned Father Marin, played by Max von Sydow, who has, according to the story, confronted and defeated the devil, driving him out of a child in Africa. Presuming again that the priest would not allow Father Karras to do this and would call in help for him, this would call in Marin. So now the devil has successfully, by possessing this, this young girl, has successfully uh, 
brought into harm's way, to use that phrase again, a priest who helps other priests maintain their their faith and has brought back an old enemy to have to confront him again. So, taking that theory and the purpose of, of the little girl being to draw these two priests to the devil, you then get the eventual result that during the exorcism periods, the devil torments them and plays with them and pushes them to their physical and mental limits in an effort to harm them mentally. And ultimately, the strain physically becomes too much for Father Marin after he has made it too much mentally for Father Karras, and Father Karras has to leave the room, leaving Marin to face the devil one-on-one, and Marin's heart gives out. And he thus is killed uh, and is no longer available to face the devil in these one-on-one exorcism situations again. So that is effectively a win for the devil. Father Father Marin is dead. Secondly, upon doing this, Father Karras re-enters the situation and having seen Father Marin die and the devil, the child, however you want to put it, giggling at it, effectively loses it and begins to attack the child, demanding that the devil leave the child and enter him, which the devil obliges and does. However, before he can lose himself to the devil, Father Karras turns to the window and leaps out of it, tumbling down those famous stairs onto, I believe it's L Street, M Street, I can't recall, all the way down, battering his body. Well, uh, this is in fact death by suicide, effectively, which is a sin. Although Father Dyer does catch up with him at the end, and there's a very brief scene where he gives his confession. So I don't know how that exactly plays out in a spiritually semantic way, but effectively Father Karras' death is a suicide which would, again, on top of the fact that Karras is dead, uh, the fact that he's declared he's lost his faith and now dies by sin, seems again to me that the devil has won because he has taken this priest who, who successfully helps other priests and has made him die in a manner that I think would prevent him potentially from ascending to heaven. So again, I take that as a win for the devil. The fact that the child survives and remembers nothing at the end of it, essentially, to me, circles it all the way back again that the child was never the target to begin with. The child was a vessel to draw the two priests in. And once that occurred, and the devil got one dead priest and one dead priest committing suicide, he leaves. And the child, the vessel, basically is no longer useful to him. Again, This very much goes to the concept that despite the fact that Reagan walks away to live another day, (coughs) the devil wins. I also think, assuming that you extend out the the films properly and hopefully ignoring at all times the ever-dreaded Exorcist 2, which should never be watched and ignored and goes in that list of sequels that were never made or shouldn't have been anyway go to the the exorcist 3 which is written and this time directed by william peter blatty the original exorcist author and the author of the screenplay and that seems to confirm this idea because in that film the 
spirit, for lack of a better word, of the Gemini killer, uh, an awful, horrific serial killer played by Brad Dorif, inhabits the body of Damien Karras, which would infer that the body of Damien Karras was the devils to inhabit or the devils to control or the devils to play with, which again goes back to the idea that heaven, God, could not claim Karras in death and the devil got to claim him instead, reaching back again to the idea that he died by suicide, etc. Uh, you don't need to attach the Exorcist 3 to it because it has a few other logical leaps that aren't very well explained uh, between the two. But nonetheless, that I think only adds to the idea that that may or may not have been, whether William Friedkin had in mind or not, what exactly William Peter Blatty, the author, had in mind. Um, because, again, it makes sense in a, in a narrative sense why does the devil possess this little girl? Well, the answer, if the answer is to draw these two other people to him uh, to defeat and destroy, I think it works. Um, I can also see how you would think that saying that the devil won, for lack of a better word, ruins the movie because you want mm, good to triumph. That's, that's the point. And the girl surviving is... I guess a reasonable outcome, but compared to the, the other chaos that occurs, I don't know if it, it balances that out on the scale. Uh, especially when at the very end you sort of have the closure of the religious, non-religious aspect when she hands uh, Father Karras's medal to Father Dyer to keep. Sorry, actually the girl doesn't do that. Chris McNeil does it. But at any rate, her involvement in the religious aspect has ended. She gives the religious item back to Father Dyer, the, the token from Father Karras that he should keep as a priest, and the McNeils drive off back into agnosticism, for lack of a better word. At any rate, it's just a theory, because I've always thought it was an odd question in, ex in The Exorcist and other exorcism movies that were spawned by it, that generally goes either assumed or unanswered or just kind of glossed over, which is, why this person? Uh, the exorcism of Emily Rose sort of tries to explore that idea a little bit. But most of the time, there doesn't seem to be a particular purpose why you would pick the person you do, which, again, giving the devil some credit for having a purpose and not just, like I said, doing it to mess with humanity. Uh, he'd have to have a reason for picking these people. And I think if you want a reason that he picks Reagan McNeil, this one works and this one follows the, the narrative of the film. Uh, all the way to its conclusion, including the fact of why Reagan lives and Reagan returns uh, to her normal life relatively, the devil has no more use for her, and she is not, she is no triumph to have taken. Uh, in fact, I think there's a, a significant inference in The Exorcist that in reality, the devil can't actually just kill you. He can mess with you, he can throw things around at you, he can do a lot of things, but you've got to die some other way. Uh, certainly, Reagan as a possessed girl shows great strength and other things to be able to harm people, but the inference that he can just kind of kill you sort of isn't there, and thus he must draw people into these situations, and in fact, uh, Maren's heart gives out, and, uh, and Karis kills himself. So at any rate, um, that that's always been my theory on, on the story of the exorcist and why 
why it works. Um, and again, uh, it's not a be-all, end-all. Billy Friedkin would disagree with me. I'm not sure William Peter Blatty would necessarily, again, given Exorcist 3. But nonetheless, um, next time you choose to watch it on a dark, full moon type night, watch it with that consideration and see if you come away that there are clues that I'm incorrect or that you don't agree with or that you just think that you don't need to explain why the devil picked little Reagan McNeil for this purpose, all of which are perfectly valid, but that's my two cents as to what I think the exorcist, how the exorcist really plays out. Um, given that this is Halloween month, I thought this was a good one to bring up. And if you're having a horror movie festival and you have people who don't mind a little language and don't get offended by religious, uh, whatever you want to call it, great movie to add to there. It's riveting. It's terrifying. It's loud. It's just a damn scary movie and one of my favorites. So thanks for listening. I appreciate it as always, and I appreciate everyone who downloads this. We are now available on iTunes, so that's a little easier access. And we'll be doing a lot of Halloween horror movie-themed podcasts this month because, uh, as many people know, I love horror movies, and I love to talk about them. So hopefully we'll get some more podcast guests to talk about this as well. And again, thanks for joining us on the Movie Nuts Podcast.